You're listening to the Language Assistance Podcast, brought to you by the British Council. For more information about the British Council or the Language Assistance Programme, please visit britishcouncil.org. Hey guys, so here we are, our first podcast. How are you guys feeling? Excited. Yeah, Nervous. very excited. Good to be here. Try something new. <laughs> Feels a bit like Eurovision, doesn't it? Because we're in different locations. But anyway, we better get cracking. So we obviously know each other really, really well. But for the purpose of the listeners, we should probably start by introducing ourselves. Sure, I guess I'll go first then. My name's Connor Morgan. I'm in Edinburgh. And I was in China as a language assistant. Let me think. Four years ago now, I was in a city called Suzhou. Uh, hi, I'm Olivia. I'm in the London office and I've been working with the language assistance programme for about eight months now. Um, I split my year abroad when I was at uni, so I wasn't a language assistant, but I have some experience living and working in Spain and Italy. And my name's Bethan, based in London. I was a language assistant in Spain. I've been working on the language assistance team now for a good couple of years and before that I worked as part of the Erasmus Plus National Agency. So between us we've all got lots of experience either taking part in mobility opportunities or working on those programmes. So we thought we'd start a podcast. A lot of this is because we get so many questions every day and for most of the people that take part in our programme it's their first time living or working abroad and naturally people are either worried or overexcited or they just have lots of questions about what to expect. So we thought we'd start this podcast podcast to try and give out some information, hear from other assistants and gain their advice or speak to some of our colleagues who are experts in particular fields and just hopefully help you prepare for your time abroad. So to start off we thought we would talk about receiving your school allocation. So I don't know about you guys, first thing I did was google it. Of course, yeah. But, um... The same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because um, I wasn't a language assistant. I um I did work in near Madrid, but when I saw the location of the school, I panicked as it were it looked like it was in the middle of nowhere. But that's the trouble with googling sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar kind of experience because obviously Google doesn't work especially well in China. So when I googled, there wasn't any public transport at all from my house to either of my schools, and I thought. How am I going to get around? It was a bit of a mad panic. Yeah, and I, I, def- <laughs> and I definitely had a massive panic because all of my friends were going to Madrid. So for a couple of months, I'd known that I was going to the Valencia region and all my friends were going to Madrid. And I had this massive panic. I'm going to have the fear of missing out. And then when I saw that my school was in a town, I had, again, another bit of a panic because I wasn't a language student at the time. I'd done... Uh, GCSE and AS level Spanish but I was pretty rusty and yeah I think a lot of our assistants will google it and in a way it's almost the worst thing you can do because as you guys have said like google isn't the true representation of what's available or the transport links so I suppose if you guys got advice that you would give to future language assistants about not panicking or what to do when they do receive their school information I think it's always, from experience, good to remember that you don't always have to live right next to the school. So it's quite easy when you first receive the information, oh, my school's going to be in this town, on this street, 
you automatically think, oh, where can I live in this area? It doesn't look like somewhere I want to live, even though it's hard to make first impressions when you haven't been there. But um, one great piece of advice is just that you don't have to live and work in the same place, especially with a language assistance contract. It's sometimes worth living somewhere else because that's going to be your base most of the time, especially in evenings, weekends. So if you think there's somewhere that's commutable, that is more suited to you, then um, I'd just say remember that that's always an option before panicking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that you touched on earlier, Beth, and there's this idea you compare yourself automatically with your friends and their placements and where they're going. And I think that's just the wrong way of approaching things. I don't think you should be making a comparison. It's more about thinking about what you want out of the experience and then trying to work towards that. So for me, I felt when I was starting more than anything else, I just wanted to know as much information as possible about the school that I was going to so that I could start thinking about how I could prepare for leaving because obviously it is a big commitment. Yeah, I definitely would echo that. And for me, when I Googled my school, it said that there was no like real transport around that area. But Google doesn't always demonstrate what public transport is available, particularly with some of the countries that our language assistants go to. They, it, buses and things might just be local knowledge or there might be a school bus that they don't publicise online that people could get. I know for, for me, two of the teachers offered to give me lifts, which meant it really broadened the area in which I could work because realistically, the, the teachers don't always live exactly where the school is either. It's quite natural, like in the UK, people, teachers will commute into work. So I would definitely recommend that when people receive their school information, don't panic and yeah, you need to get that local advice because it can really broaden your area of where you could live. So so when you guys were assistants, did you have to commute to school or did you live quite close by? Because I know for me, for example, I got a lift with the teacher, which is about 20 minutes. So that wasn't too bad. I know from my friends who were assistants in Madrid, one of them had quite a rural posting and she had an hour and 20 minute commute each way, which sounds quite dramatic but she made that choice because she lived wanted to live in the center of madrid but actually when she thought about it it was only three or four days a week so you know it might be a longer commute than what she was used to at university it actually was quite manageable i don't know how did you guys find commuting i was the same in madrid or in a similar situation because i wanted to live in the center um so that i was there at the weekends but then my school was a bit further out, it was in North Madrid. So I just got the Cercanías train, which is really useful. And it took me all the way to the school and then hopped off that, hopped on a bus. So all in all, it was probably about an hour each way. But because there were other assistants at the school, we all did the commute together. And we also used that time to plan some lessons as well. So I didn't find the commute that bad at all. And I thought it was worth it so that I could live in the centre, which is where I wanted to be. But um, on the other hand, I know that some people would live in the outskirts of Madrid where their school was to save money. And then they would obviously be able to travel into the city at the weekends to enjoy it as well so it depends really yeah in my case I was working at two different schools and so one of them was like a five minute walk from my house and the other one was maybe 20 minutes on the bus although there were days where it was like double that it kind of just depended on the traffic a lot but I didn't find the commuting to be a particularly big issue that 
if anything, it was quite nice to have time to kind of decompress at the start and the end of the day after or before teaching. So for me, it was fine. And I think there's a lot to be said for living outside of the city centre in any place that if you're in the city centre, maybe there are constantly going to be other foreigners around. It would be very easy to get by with your English. Whereas I think if you're outside of the city centre, you're maybe more likely to live in a more local community. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think also we, when people go abroad, sometimes I think they forget about what happens in the UK. Like I, I'm based in London. I don't live in the centre of London. I have to commute to work 30, 40 minutes every day, which is absolutely manageable. So, yeah, I think when people receive their school allocation, they just need to think quite cleverly about the area and not panic. So even if they've got a posting in a in a village, maybe doesn't mean that they're destined for village life for a year. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we've spoken quite a lot about getting the local knowledge. And often a lot of the way you can get that is by contacting your school for the first time. And I don't know about you, I was so nervous the first time I contacted my school. And it's always hard to like know what to say. Do you guys have any advice on what you would and wouldn't say to your school on, once you receive your allocation? I think for me, the important thing is to act interested, given that it's something you're going to be doing for the next year in most cases. You do want as much information as possible, but instead of thinking about yourself, you should be thinking about the school and where you're going so that you can prepare yourself for the role. I think a lot of people, their automatic jump is to think, okay, where am I going to live? How much money am I going to earn? And whilst those things are important, I think you also do need to prepare yourself for the realities of teaching. In many cases, I imagine it will be the first time that our language assistants are teaching. And so if you can ask your school about the class sizes they might have, for example, how many classes you'll be working a week, and the very importantly, the English level that your students are likely to have. I think you want to show that you are interested in performing the job and it will also help you to prepare yourself mentally for the challenge of doing that. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's really important to build that rapport, that relationship with the school from the get-go because their first email from you is going to make the first impression that they have of you even before they've met you in person. So yeah, it's super important like Connor said to make a good first impression act interested try and get a lot of information about the school itself and yeah I definitely agree with that it is a balance though isn't it because you you want to and it's your first experience contacting the people in the country you're going to work in and you want all of the answers straight away but I think you have to be quite cautious of picking and choosing because especially for teachers, teachers around the world are just as busy as teachers in the UK. And Mm -hmm. whilst your language assistant posting will be your whole life for that year, you'll be one small part of their day to day. And whilst you've got a million questions, I think you have to pick quite carefully what you ask in your first email because you don't want to bombard them. I'd also say be quite cautious of what you do and don't say. So for example, say the school's located in a village and you don't necessarily want to live in a village. That's absolutely fine. But how you word it, contacting your school makes all the difference. If you were to go in, for example, and say, I don't want to live in a village. I can't imagine living a village life. Like, how can I live in such and such town that's nearby? You don't know whether those teachers live in that village or not. So you have to be quite cautious about not offending people and just being conscious that they could be very proud of the places that they live. So I don't know, what do you guys think about the do's and don'ts, what questions would you ask in your first email and which questions would you maybe wait to ask once you arrive in the country or leave for a couple of weeks before you start asking? 
I think one that springs to mind that I wouldn't ask straight away is if you if you know you've got plans later on in the year, like you've got a, an important celebration, a wedding or something, where you need, say, a day off, I probably wouldn't start by asking for time off. Uh, I just think it'd be more logical to like kind of build the relationship first and maybe even wait till you get there before asking for something like time off just because it's maybe not the best thing to start with the first time you contact them (laughs) yeah i definitely agree i think any kind of demand really isn't the best way to start any new relationship is it (laughs) so i think it's much better to go in with a positive attitude and be asking things that you do want to hear about instead of making demands about things that they should be doing for you i think um in my case it was really about getting to know more about where I was going in the environment of the school, for example, because that way I could start kind of getting a mental picture of it and picturing myself there, which I think helped me make the whole experience feel a little more real before I even arrived in China. Yeah, I think asking for time off is definitely a no-no because whilst you might have like your sister's wedding or something that you really want to go to, I think assistants need to bear in mind that they are going to be part of the teaching staff. And like in the UK, the teacher's uh, overseas they they're committed to term time they have their holidays prescribed to them and assistants generally need to follow that while some schools might be quite flexible once you've arrived and they might allow you to make time up or like miss a day and that kind of thing it is always at the discretion of the school so definitely would I wouldn't go in asking for time off and I, I would even maybe wait until I'd worked for a month so if you demonstrate in your first month that you're really committed you're hard working your school's going to be much more willing to be flexible with you later down the line than if you were to stop going and ask for time off over email, I'd say. Are there any other questions that you think are quite important to ask in the lead up to going abroad? I don't know if I have a question, but I would always try and use a bit of the language as well when um, when first introduce myself just to show that like you're interested in their native language as well even though you'll be an English language assistant Uh, because I know lots of assistants go abroad to try and improve their language and it could be a nice way to introduce that you're interested in learning the language so maybe you can come to some sort of agreement where the teaching staff can speak to you in the language to help you practice but with the pupils you're always speaking English so maybe just even if it's just a little bit just try and use the, I would always try and use the language when first contacting as well. I agree. I think maybe sometimes you feel a little self-conscious when you start using language native speakers in that way, but it's definitely worth putting the effort in because you do notice the difference very, very quickly. And even if you go with a fairly low level, like in my case, when I went to China, I couldn't speak a word of Chinese, but I think using those little expressions day in, day out makes you feel like you're making an effort to learn the language but on top of that it makes your colleagues realize that you are actually making an effort to fit in and so I think it's a good thing to start on as early as possible. Yeah so most of our assistants will have a certain level of language because they they have to to be eligible for the country and I know for Connor you work with me on the China program, Uh, Olivia you work with me and Kina on the Spain program. For people going to Spain and China they might not necessarily have language ability already but as you said like even if you just use the greetings or ask your friends to help you with a few of the introductory or sentences or the sign off I think a little does go, go a long way now 
I don't know about you guys, but I didn't hear from my school until September. So I got my allocation over the summer and heard nothing. It was radio silent. And I had this massive panic thinking, oh, maybe they don't want me to come or maybe there's something wrong with my allocation. But it just hadn't clicked in my head that it was school holidays and they just weren't accessing their emails. I don't know, did you guys hear from your school straight away? What was your experience of that? In my case, I think I heard from my school at the beginning of June. But in the case of China and any of the countries where you require a visa, I think you probably will hear prior to the summer because of that, that there's a need to know where you're going so that you can apply for the visa and get your work permit. But I think maybe in the case of the European countries, that wouldn't be the case now. No. So I've been in the programme a couple of years now, and I know this is the case every year. Uh, we get to the end of August and, yeah, some assistants won't have heard from their school. And it's not that they don't want them. It's not that they're not keen for them to start. It's just simply that the teachers are on holiday. Now, a lot of schools in Europe um, go back in September. So people start slowly hearing in September. But equally, the start of term is very, very busy. And we see that with the schools that we work with in the, in the UK. The first two weeks at school are manic and teachers are so, so busy. So I think people mustn't panic if they don't hear from their school before they go. If they're really, really unsure, I mean, they can always contact the British Council and we can check their allocation. But I know for some cases, you might not actually hear from your school until you, you go to the country. And for, I think, a European countries, particularly those that start uh, in September and October, if you're going out earlier to find accommodation or just to get settled in you can always just pop by to the school if you haven't heard I know it's daunting I had to do it I literally went off the back went and knocked on the um, front gate spoke to the caretaker and then that was when I met the school for the first time and then that started the email back and forth and it was simply a case that the the school had been on holiday and actually I'd been placed in a school that very very much wanted me there and I had a, a great time Okay, so I think we've had a good chat now about how some of the questions you should maybe ask your school once you hear back about your placement or the fact that you shouldn't panic about hearing back right away. So obviously it's important not to be too demanding straight off the bat that you want to start the relationship off with your school in the best possible way. And really you just don't want to panic that things will work out. I know we get a lot of emails from people who are worrying about their placements, but we are here to help people and so... I think given we have a lot of experience being language assistants on the team, we know some of the problems that people might encounter and we can promise you that it shouldn't be anything to panic about. Everything will work out in the end. So we survived our very first podcast. Yeah, I know. And I think it should hopefully be the first of many. It's an exciting time, eh? Yeah, so hopefully we'll master all the uh, editing and things later. Um, so next week, we're going to be talking to two former language assistants. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, me too. I think it'll be really good to get some different perspectives on the language assistance programme. I mean, obviously, both of us have been on the programme as well, but I think it's always good to hear from people who've been placed in different countries and especially different environments. Yeah, definitely. So next week, join us for our second podcast. We're going to be talking to two former language assistants, one who worked in a village in Quebec in Canada and the other who worked in Santiago in Chile in the city. So we'll be discussing the differences between a village placement and a city placement and having the general discussion about the pros and cons of the two so thanks for listening to our very first podcast make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes 
If you've got any suggestions for future topics or any questions for the podcast, you can email us at languageassistance.uk at britishcouncil.org. Or if you're feeling brave, you can leave us a voice note by the Anchor app. So using the link that's detailed in our description box, you can go on there and record your very own voice notes. And you may be featured in our future podcasts. So we look forward to hearing you. Thanks so much for listening. And as I said before, make sure you subscribe. You've been listening to the Language Assistance Podcast, brought to you by the British Council. This episode has been recorded and edited by the Language Assistance team. For more information about the British Council or the Language Assistance Programme, please visit britishcouncil.org. Or why not follow the Language Assistance team on Twitter? Our Twitter handle is at languageassst.